Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Live from the Internet. Celebrating the best in superhero and comic book movies, it's the 5th Annual Cuppy Awards. And here's your host, Sam Patrick. Hello and welcome to the Cinematic Universe End of Year Awards, or as everyone but James calls them, the Cuppies 2019. I'm your new awards host for this year, Seb Patrick, and joining me to look back on the last 12 months' worth of superhero and comic book movie podcasting nonsense are regular co-host and non-deserter, James Hunt. Yeah, I got to confess. Yeah, because you, you haven't deserted <laughs> us. Um, but we, yeah, uh, James gets to go first because we have, we've got not one, but two guests joining us for this year's awards. We've had to make a little bit of extra room in, in Cuppy's headquarters uh, for, the, for them to get round the table. So first off, there is the man who gave up the sweet gig of hosting this show but still can't keep away from the podcast, Joe Cunningham. Yeah, and still can't, still can't keep away from watching all of the movies along with you as well, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully means I can actually vote on this. Incidentally, Joe, have you listened to our last minisode yet? Uh, no, so I had the choice this week of catch up on the movies that I hadn't seen or catch up on the podcast I haven't listened to. So I haven't, haven't heard your Blade 2 episode yet, um, although I, th- I think I disagree with all, with all of you on that. Um, <laughs> And haven't heard uh, haven't heard the Wolverine episode either. Well, there's a very specific reason for asking about that minisode. I thought you wouldn't have listened to it, and anyone who has listened to it will know why I was asking about it. No. I'll probably have uh, probably have got to it by the time that listeners are listening to this, because because I do now need to go back and uh, hear how badly I disagree with all of you on the Wolverine and Blade Two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you'd be wrong on the Wolverine, but we'll we'll get to that. Uh, but yes, we are also delighted to welcome Cuppy's debutant and semi-regular podcast over the last half of the year, Caroline Cedar. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so honoured to be here at, at your glamorous um, award show. <laughs> I've broken out my finest attire. I'm ready well, to go. Well, we had to actually get some glamour in there somewhere at some point. It's been five years, so, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just three blokes in a room sitting around <laughs> arguing about films, and, and who wants that? About a very arbitrary selection of films. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, speaking of arbitrary selections, uh, that is what we're going to be spending the next three hours doing, uh, he said optimistically. Um, As per usual, we'll be running through a bunch of categories that we've all submitted nominations for, uh, and Joe, despite having had the the hosting gig stripped from him, has still uh, volunteered to do the maths and work out who's actually earned enough votes to be one of the five nominees in each category, apart from the couple of categories that that don't have five, but we'll get to those. I love the maths, Seb. I I love the maths He does. He was like, I was just going to do a simpler process 
maths this year. And Joe was like, are you not going to do the maths? And I was like, well, you can do, do the, the maths. maths if you want. So he's he's done the maths. So for each one, uh, Joe will tell us who the nominees are and then we'll thrash out and debate uh, a final choice. If there's a deadlock, then uh, we, we've discussed that as in previous years, if there's if there's like one category for each person that they feel really strongly about, they can they can cash in their veto chip. Uh, but alternatively, James and I get to have the final say because <laughs> we haven't left the podcast yet or, or come to it recently. It's so. going to be a good year for Elite Battle Angel. Let's Let's say that much. <laughs> oh god i didn't think of that uh, i might have to revise how that system works there might have to be a special elita clause uh we'll, oh we'll cross that bridge when we come to it just to note one thing about eligibility um usually the rule is that anything that we covered on the podcast or that was released in the year uh the previous 12 months is eligible in this instance there were two films from 2018 that we counted as eligible for the 2018 awards that we then covered on the podcast in 2019 they were Aquaman and Teen Titans go to the movies so because they've been in previous years they won't be considered again so uh, none of the songs from Teen Titans go to the movies are going to be considered in this right let's crack on then let's let's do our first award because we as I say we, we've, we've got that many categories that we end up with a quite limited time to, to get them all in so let's just get straight in there with them and as per usual we always like to start with one of the acting um, awards as, as the Oscars do uh, this year I've decided to go for best supporting actor first um, I think this is traditionally one of the strongest categories uh, in previous years winners have been Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight Tom Hiddleston for Avengers Steve Buscemi for Ghost World and J.K. Simmons for for Spider-Man, uh, we've we've said before that this always seems to be a category that has quite strong uh, a strong field in terms of supporting characters are often better than the leads in a lot of these films. So, Joe, is that true this year? Who have we nominated this year? Okay, so I'll, I'll just quickly go through the people who who haven't quite made the list: Greg Kinnear for Mystery Men, Jake Gyllenhaal for Spider-Man: Far From Home, Hugo Weaving for The Matrix, Don Cheadle for Endgame, Josh Brolin for Endgame, Jimon Hounsou for Guardians of the Galaxy, Paul Rudd for Endgame, and Ben Mendelsohn for Captain Marvel. Which Don Cheadle for Endgame? He's in it for about five minutes. Uh, who do we think nominated Don <laughs> Cheadle? <can't> possibly think. <laughs> Okay, so the actual, the top, the five nominees are Jack Dylan Grazer for Shazam, Bradley Cooper for Guardians of the Galaxy, Lawrence Fishburne for The Matrix, Samuel L. Jackson for Captain Marvel, and Joey Pants for The Matrix. (laughs) I can't believe Joey Pants got in there. Who wants to go first? So I'll I'll tell you why Joey Pants got in there, and that is because (laughs) I, I put him down as my number one choice um joe that's insane that's insane that is insane yeah (laughs) perhaps a little bit of tactical voting because i was pretty sure some of the other ones were some of my other choices were going to make the list i think joey pants gives the best performance in the matrix and this is that's an insane thing to say (laughs) it's it's not he's amazing the scene where he talks about where he's in the restaurant with agent smith is like chef's kiss good um, it's a great Joey scene, Pants. but that Joey doesn't Pants make him the best amazing. actor in the film. <laughs> I, I think he's giving the best performance in The Matrix because The Matrix is a very good movie with lots of actors, I think, who are kind of fine and not really having to stretch too much. Like, I wouldn't say it's Keanu Reeves' best performance. And uh, yeah, I would put him above Lawrence Fishburne. But if anyone wants to talk about Lawrence Fishburne right now, <laughs> because he's one of our other nominees, 
I'm presuming we're nominating him for this and not for voicing the Silver Surfer in <laughs> Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. Probably yes. Uh, yeah, I think. Well, I, I think can we from the reactions to that? I think while uh, while it's impressive that he got nominated, I think are we immediately? Uh, Joe, Joey yeah, Pants is bin, not in the running. Straight in here. the bin, please. <laughs> Um, does anyone want to make the case for Lawrence Fishburne who who nominated Lawrence Fishburne for The Matrix I did he wasn't Uh, quite at my number one spot but I think he he's right up there for me and I think he's phenomenal in The Matrix he just gives this like I I actually think maybe he embodies the spirit of that film more than either of the like I don't know conventional leads like he really anchors the sort of combination of sci-fi and mysticism that makes that so compelling. And I think it's a very unexpected performance in a lot of ways. And to me, it feels like the most iconic performance from The Matrix, not Joey Pants. Yep, I fully I, I I fully agree with Caroline on that. I think he is he's great. And like his, of all the characters in The Matrix, like I think his is actually the most iconic performance. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like you could plug that that performance into sort of any movie and it would still be Morpheus. It's not like... I mean, if there's an aspect of the Matrix... Well, I think there are two aspects of the Matrix that probably got most widely parodied, at least in terms of characters, and one of them is obviously Agent Smith, but I think the other one is mysterious phone calls <laughs> with, with a voice like Lawrence Fishburne's at the end of them. Um, with the silver surfer on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, st- strong case there for Lawrence Fishburne. Um, so, hang on, we've got Joey Pants, Lawrence Fishburne... Uh, Jack Dylan Grazer and uh, Samuel L. Jackson, who I want to talk about both of. So who was the fifth one? Sorry, it was Jay. Bradley Cooper. Uh, I think specifically for Guardians of the Galaxy, but obviously End- Endgame falls in this year as well. Um, he got he got um, three of the four of us nominated him um, straight out. So he was, he was straight into this category. Um, I mean, do I- we have to give it maybe as a joint award, actually, between Bradley Cooper and Sean Gunn if, if he was going to get it? Because the, the physicality uh, no. of the performance... <laughs> I, right, don't, I don't think that's um, what what makes no. Rocket. I think what makes Rocket is... Well, I, I just just remember at the time that everyone was talking about, oh, like, is it going to be Jason Statham or this kind of guy to voice a mm. Uzi-toting raccoon? And they announced Bradley Cooper, and you think, oh, huh. That's interesting. And then you turn up and see the film and you're like, oh, wow, that was Bradley Cooper. Um, and I think the thing that we, we all remarked on when talking about the movie and, and afterwards as well is that uh, you you come away from that film and go, I did not expect to be that invested in that character and I didn't expect to be that emotionally invested in him. And I think it's tracked through all of the performances. You see this... Um, this kind of inner turmoil and I, I think it's it's at its rawest in that first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, uh, particularly mm. the scene where Peter comes out and Drax and Rocket have got drunk and are arguing with each other. Mm. And, you know, he, he called me an animal. And it, I, I, I think partly because of how surprising it is, but also that Bradley Cooper delivers that depth of emotion in a voice performance for a talking raccoon. It's impressive, but <laughs> it also, yeah. Also, also, I have established in previous years, I don't consider voice performances on the same level as the other ones, so I wouldn't actually no. give it to him. <laughs> I'm kind of with said that I think we underestimate 
how much Sean Gunn contributes to Rocket because he does all the onset physicality. And yet at the same time, I think we also underestimate what Bradley Cooper brings to the role. It's like Rocket is so good that we as an audience just accept that this is a character and like we forget yes. that people are bringing him to life. I think Bradley Cooper is my number one. I think he is so good in his performance as Rocket. Like you would never in a million years think that that was Bradley Cooper. Like talk about a transformative performance. Mm. And I think exactly what you're saying, Joe, like the pathos he brings to what could just be this like comedic throw off character is so compelling. And we just, we don't talk enough about how good Bradley Cooper is <laughs> as Rocket Raccoon. I think what really contributes to that is that Bradley Cooper doesn't really do the promotional tour for these movies. He's yeah. he's less visible. He's not as heavily associated with that character the way that almost all of the others are, is he? Yeah. I think he turns up on the red carpet at the premiere for each movie and mm. that's it. I don't think he does interviews. I don't think he does like the tour in the world doing the junket tour. I think it's that's yeah, one little nod. Mm. Hey guys, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see you in two years' time. I mean, I, I, I wanted to nominate someone from Guardians because I love... I love that film and I love the cast in it almost universally. Um, and he and he was the you know when I looked at it I was like yeah he is the standout despite being as you say the character that's not as strongly associated. Um, in any other year, I'd probably be happy to. Well, I say in any other year, I'd be happy to put him at number one. As we've said, this is always a very strong category. It's like you know, w would he beat Heath Ledger? Would he beat J.K. Simmons? Maybe not. I also am not sure that he should be either of Samuel L. Jackson in Captain Marvel or Jack Dylan Grazer in Shazam. I think with Samuel L. Jackson, I think what really stands out about that performance in that film is, again, it's what you just said about Bradley Cooper. It's the unexpectedness of it. We always expect Samuel L. Jackson to turn up as Nick Fury and do his thing, and he's, it's probably not something that I think... I, I wouldn't be surprised, I, I don't know offhand. We've probably never nominated him in this category for any of his appearances as Nick Fury, even though... Uh, has he gone in the Hall of Fame before? Actually, I'm just looking. No, he hasn't. I think he's, you know, he's probably going to go in this year. Um, but in Cap in Captain Marvel, he turns up and does something else, and he play and he doesn't just play a younger Nick Fury as an angry, you know, the same kind of character with the same kind of anger and all the kind of stuff that you'd associate with him. He's markedly a different character and a different personality. And behind some really impressive technical effects to make him look younger, he matches that with his acting to make it really feel like he is playing. You, I don't think, and I think we said this when we did the podcast, you, you, you never fail to believe that you're basically watching a 1990s Samuel L. Jackson in that film. I think he's remarkable in that movie. Um, I, I haven't seen the, uh, the wealth of movies in 2019 that I would need to say this with any authority but given the movies I have seen he would get a, he if I was voting at the Oscars he would get a best supporting actor this year for the Oscars I think he's that good and I think it's exactly what you just said Seb and I think especially when you compare the performance that he's giving in that compared to the performance he gives in Far From Home which really feels like in autopilot mm. and i know that there's the twist in that movie but it yeah, but sounds like he he also <laughs> didn't know that he was yeah. playing that twist mm. um I, I i think yes the the cgi which is incredible really contributes um let's call the cgi in this in this case the sean gunn um, <laughs> of, of samuel L. jackson's performance um but i i just think he utterly convinces as you you believe that that is Nick Fury, 
you believe that that guy became the guy that we've watched in all the all of the other movies, but it also feels like he's giving a completely different performance to one he's ever given before. Um, I think he's great. I think Jack Dylan Gray, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, who is incidentally, uh, which really surprised me, the only actor in this category that all four of us nominated in our initial. Ah, <laughs> uh, here we go. I think Jack Dylan Grazer is really charismatic and likable in that movie, but I don't think he is flexing anything near the muscles that Sam Jackson is in in Captain Marvel. So he would be my choice. Okay, but so let's talk, let's talk about Jack Dylan Grazer. So I take on board your points about Samuel L. Jackson. Although when I watched the film, I was like, "Yeah, it's Samuel L. Jackson, fair enough." Like, it, I didn't come away from that movie going like, "Wow, did you see Samuel L. Jackson?" I was like, "Hey, he turned up. He did his thing. It's fine." Jack Dylan Grazer, like, to be that age and to have that much charisma and, and confidence on screen, I get, I don't have a lot to compare it against because I've not seen him do anything else, but I think if he can be that assured at the age he's at, like, he's going to be huge. He's much better in that than he is in It. <laughs> that's what I mean, because that is the only other performance I have to compare against. Yeah, sure. And he's much, much stronger in Shazam. Yeah, which suggests maybe he, you know, was giving a good performance compared to what he's mm. capable of. So, like, I think if all four of us recognise that he's, you know, operating on that level, that's probably something to take notice of. Because, like, I, I agree with what you said about Bradley Cooper, and I agree to some extent with what you said about Samuel L. Jackson, but, like, neither of those names crossed my mind when I was coming to this category. <laughs> Okay, so in the interests then of sort of seeing how the the voting lies, I think if we've got if we've got James is very clearly on Jack Dylan Grazer, Joe is very clearly on Samuel L. Jackson. I am actually very much in the middle between those two. Caroline, would would you be leaning towards either of those two, or do you want to pull us back to to any of the other nominees? I want to pull us back because I think I think for <laughs> most of the people in this category, this is a great case of like the nomination is the award. Jack Dylan Grazer is so so charming, a great breakout performance, no, like great nomination for him. Obviously, even though Bradley Cooper in my heart is number one, I feel like Lawrence Fishburne is the obvious winner here. Like, we can't devalue him just because it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's so iconic. We all just agreed it's one of the most iconic performances ever. Mm-hmm. Yes, The Matrix has been parodied a lot. Yes, it's been around a long time. But we can't we can't make the mistake of not recognizing him when we have the opportunity to do this. Jack will make many more films. We can nominate him for Shazam too. It'll be fine. This is our one yeah. chance okay, for so the Matrix. I would actually say if they make a Shazam two, I would expect Jack Jack Dylan Grazer to turn up and do exactly the same thing just as well. <laughs> Whereas Lawrence Fishburne turned turned up twice more and got to do less just as well. Twice. Well, I'm I'm afraid to say, Caroline, that if if you had said you were you were pushing for Rocket, um, that would have meant we kind of had a, a three way decision to make because I could happily vote for any of those three. If you're going with Lawrence Fishburne, then I'm afraid that Lawrence Fishburne isn't going to get it because he's not. going Well, get a hang on, vote. hang on. <laughs> or is he? Was James going to shift his vote? I'm happy to go with Lawrence Fishburne because he was he was the first one that came to mind when I came to this category. And as much as I love Jack Dylan Grace's performance. I completely agree that Lawrence Fishburne is like the most iconic out of everyone we've mentioned. Like no one. So now you've thrown a spanner because if you if you're taking your vote away from Jack Dylan Grazer, that pushes me towards Samuel L. Jackson, and we've got a fifty fifty split there. Well, and I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to change my vote. I'm gonna go for Joey Pants. 
<laughs> in which case Lawrence Fishburne is the winner of this year's Best Supporting Actor Award for you've the incredibly to, iconic performance as Morpheus in You've the got to stay with your heart, don't you? <laughs> and my heart belongs to Joey Pants. Wow. It's a good showing for the movie. Well, in much the same way as you've done the you, 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 you've righted the wrong of Joey Pants betraying Morpheus. <laughs> what you've done there is you've given Morpheus the win. <laughs> Okay, so yes, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, entirely fair. I, I, I am surprised that he didn't go to one of those other three because I think they're all better, but, you know, <laughs> democracy. That's democracy. For you. Good category. Good strong category. As, as it always is, yes. Uh, best costume. Is that equally strong? In previous years, we've had Miles Morales for Into the Spider-Verse, Hela from Thor Ragnarok, Deadpool, and Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi version. How has Iron so, Man never won if- this category? Because, because James, boring. you always vote for different specific <laughs> yeah, marks. We of the split it into different armors. Just don't, <laughs> just don't stop penalize me for being it. thorough. Well, all right. Is he up for it this year, Joe? Who have we got? Uh, no, because no one, including James, not Yeah, because the Iron Man armor this year is bad. Mark 47 James was instead it? nominated not good. what's bad this year. Yeah. Uh, the War Machine Mark 7, yeah. which uh, did not make the final five. Oh, yes, that iconic uh, piece of yeah. costume design. <laughs> I was going to vote for the War Machine Mark 6, but, you know. Yeah. Okay, so the, the final five nominations here um, is the Captain Marvel costume, um, I think probably from Captain Marvel, where you get um, yeah. a bit more variety. Uh, Supergirl from Supergirl, Mysterio from Spider-Man Far From Home, Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy, and Catwoman from The Dark Knight Rises. So I, I, what I found interesting with this category was I, I I had kind of different reasons for nominating almost every one of the ones that I nominated, and I think I nominated four of these. So just to run through them quickly, I nominated Captain Marvel because it was designed by my friend. Um, I nominated Supergirl because it's like really good and comics accurate um and i nominated star lord because star lord is probably the costume from the mcu that i would most want to just wear in everyday life because it looks cool um yeah and and i'm not willing to go into the reasons that i voted for catwoman so instead <laughs> i would like to <laughs> i would like to focus on um well a the fact that we didn't nominate joker um which I think is interesting, mm. but obviously not a, not a popular movie, and I think that probably um, made its way down to the costume as well. Um, I I don't have particularly strong feelings here, other than like I, it's difficult for me when we talk about best costume in a movie and like Captain Marvel, everything that's great about that was on the page, and we we gave the. The, the award to Deadpool uh, a few years ago, mm-hmm. which which kind of is the same situation, I think, where you've got great iconic design on the page and they went just, well, let's not mess with perfection. So there you go. I mean, um, I, I, I think with Captain Marvel, there is an element of like it is it is it's it's the same basic design as the McKelvey comics one, but it, it has been designed for film. They've done the Marvel thing of taking it and making it functional and and what impresses me about it is that it's that it maintains such a strong color scheme while being based around you know a kind of utilitarian flight suit sort of outfit but i I, it is quite different from the comics version i think it's its own thing and i think it's a in its own right in the movie it's a good piece of design i also my least favorite scene in captain marvel revolves around the costume so i couldn't vote for it (laughs) you don't like that little where she's changing the costume god i hate that's one that's one of my favorite scenes yeah i love yeah i think it's really cute yeah, that's what everyone said every time I say I hate that scene. So, um, <laughs> well, this raises I, I mean, a question that I have, which is that are we counting 
So, like, that scene where she's changing multiple costumes, are those all her costume, or are we voting for just the costume <laughs> she wears in the majority of it? I, mean, I, 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 guess was, it's I was voting costume, for the blue right? one rather than the green one, but, yeah. But it is all the same costume, technically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in I terms guess so. So I think you can include all of them. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't feel super passionate about any of these that I'm like, that has to be has to be above the others. Um, I like Peter Quill's long red coat. I think that's fun. Um, I, I, think I think the thing that with what... that, just the point I would make about that, is that that is a costume that was designed solely for the film that had nothing to do with the character's look in the comics, apart from the face mask thing, and has become the defining look of the character in the comics since the film. And I know that's mainly down to the popularity of the film rather than anything inherent to do with the costume, but I do think it's notable. I think it's one of those instances where something that was created and designed for the film has fed back into the comics. And like you couldn't imagine Star-Lord in the comics looking any different from that. Now, they tried to do it briefly with the Bendis series that followed the movie. They gave him a different new costume and they gave up on it after a very short while i think that's a really good argument for that i'll just throw in quickly i did vote for catwoman mainly because i really like her like goggles that become her little ears i think that that's super clever and a good way to be like acknowledge the catwoman but keep it in the nolan you know realistic sphere yeah i think it's a really smart design within within the world that they've already established yeah um she she looks pretty iconic when she's wearing it and yeah i think the the goggles are just that that fun little twist um and does and, she look more iconic I, than michelle pfeiffer catwoman though no no absolutely no. not yeah but that is i mean i i saw that costume up close and that thing is a, a an absolute work of art um mm-hmm. and it's it's very it's very difficult to say well it almost feels mean to compare it to that because um i don't know well, no like i think i think it's justifiable to compare it to it if we're discussing I, I don't think you can call a catwoman costume the best costume of the year if it's not even the best ever catwoman <laughs> costume we just awarded the second best performance in the matrix <laughs> <laughs> well look anyway I, I do just kind of want to make the point that um un- unless i don't have to i am kind of probably going to play my veto here anyway because the correct answer is mysterio yeah i think i have to agree with you i didn't put it down in my original nominations but uh, i think to take a design that sort of esoteric from the comics and translate it mm. to the screen in a way that makes it look cool and not horrendous yeah it's not ridiculous and yet it is still basically the costume from the yeah. comics but they've just done enough to it that it works and it helps that the context is that the character is meant to be a bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, I think it, it deserves it for that inspired point of taking the triangular eye design that's a feature of Mysterio's costume and making that, uh, tying that to the dots on a motion capture suit mm-hmm. that he's wearing when he's not actually in the Mysterio costume. I just, you know, for all the arguments we can have about the film, and I don't want to get into them because we're already running too long on our, on our categories, but I just think, I think everything about the execution of that costume is everything I could have possibly wanted to see from one of my favourite comic book costumes on the screen. That's the argument that I would would make for Mysterio is the scene where he is wearing the like CGI dot tracking um, is a kind of wonderful pullback reveal um, and plays into that kind of Mysterio as a uh, as well 
I guess as as the lead actor, but also the director of his mm. own movie within a movie. Um, and when we saw that costume in the trailers, I think we all thought yeah. it looked fantastic. <laughs> so I wouldn't argue against Mysterio. I'm in 100% agreement. He was going to be my number one too, so... Yay. Give it to Mr. Mysterio. I don't even have to pay my veto. We could have avoided all of that discussion. Yay. Okay. So Mysterio rightly and justly wins in a landslide our best costume vote. Is there going to be a similar landslide for best new film? Okay, so best new film. Um I don't think actually there would there's much argument about the five nominees given that no one on the podcast really liked Joker. So the five <laughs> And nobody saw are... Hellboy. Yes, well, that is very true. Uh, not just us, anyone. Um, Spider-Man Far From Home, Alita Battle Angels, Shazam, Captain Marvel, and Avengers Endgame. So this is where James plays his veto <laughs> to make Alita the best new I'm only going to play the veto if it's a tie. It's hard It's hard to argue for anything other than Endgame, I think, at this point. I mean, yeah, do we, do we need to go into that much detail now, bearing in mind we're doubtless going to be discussing it later? Uh, is is there any strong competition to Endgame? No, it's Endgame. <laughs> yeah, I think we've got, we've, we've got three MCU movies here. I think the other two are, uh, I think... I mean, I love Shazam. I really do love Shazam. But... Um, I'm I'm not making an argument for Shazam over Endgame. <laughs> yeah, okay. As yeah, much as I, I love Alita, like <sighs> Endgame is a, is like next level on a sort of technical and narrative, you know, aspects. It just it's untouchable, probably throughout yeah, yeah. all superhero movies. <laughs> I think we've got here four nominees that, well, for me anyway, are hovering around the three star area. Uh, between two and a half and three and a half stars, and then Endgame, which is personally I, I one of the first five five star movies from the MCU, other than Black Panther from the first Avengers. So yeah, I would have to go for for Endgame as well. That's great. This this brings our average time per category down <laughs> <laughs> in an instant. Endgame is categorically the best new film. Uh, it's not going to be the last time we talk about it on this episode. Is it going to pop up in best screenplay, though? That's the question. Oh, let me scroll on my document to find best screenplay. <laughs> I was going to say. I oh, yeah, sorry, because yes. Joe, Joe doesn't know what order I'm doing these in. No. <laughs> <laughs> ah, there we go. Previously won, by the way, sorry, by uh, Into the Spider-Verse, Iron Man 3, Ghost World, and Kick-Ass. Those are good winners. Oh, yeah, some very good winners there. Um, and I think we've got I think we got the opportunity for some good winner, for a good winner to follow them as well. Um, this was something where every nominee in this category got at least three nominations between <laughs> us. So um, it's a strong category. The nominations are Guardians of the Galaxy, Snowpiercer, Adam's Family Values, The Matrix, and Avengers Endgame. There's, I think the interesting thing about this category is always that it's very likely that there's a lot of crossover between this and best film. Uh, you know, because if if the screenplay's really that good, chances are the rest of the film will be as well. I think that holds true for some of them here, and not necessarily for others. And that's why I think I think the most interesting one maybe in this category for me. And the standout is Adam's Family Values. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't necessarily... I can't recall if I had that in Best Film or not. We'll, we'll find out. But as a screenplay, for the for the level of and quality of jokes and everything, it's bang up there for me. It's the ghost world of this year. <laughs> I think... I Yeah, I, I it's not a runaway 
decision for me. But I think if I if I look at the Matrix, I go y- yes, I think that's a really strong screenplay uh, with a lot of kind of depth of ideas in there. Um, but also the visual look of that movie is so strong that I wonder if that movie had been handled by lesser directors with exactly the same scripts, would people even be talking about it a year on, let alone 20 years on? Yeah, you're Um, you're right. Probably not. Snowpiercer, again, visually incredible. Again, a lot of ideas going on in there. But also, I kind of feel like the modular nature of that movie kind of does does Mm. lend it a little bit of a crutch. And I don't think the last 10, 15 minutes quite hold up in terms of wrapping up all the ideas of the film or delivering any kind of climax that feels worthy of the majesty of the film that's gone before. I I think it is one of those where the screenplay is not the standout aspect. It's not that there's really much wrong with the screenplay, but it's more the screenplay doesn't define it for me. Yeah. And it's same for Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's got a strong script, but again, a kind of a weak last 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and again, the... It's. I think it's Gunn's direction rather than his screenplay that that contributes to Guardians of the Galaxy. And you know, if this had been Guardians of the Galaxy two, I think I would double down on that and say the visuals, <laughs> the visuals, and also you think that, the screenplay of that one. <laughs> well, I just think. I just think it again. It kind of loses itself, but it loses itself about half an hour earlier. And in fact, I think it's a it's a messy second act as well. So yeah, but we're not talking about Guardians of the Galaxy two. Um, the other one that I would throw out there to compete with Adam's family family values is Endgame, because of the complexity of what Endgame has to do, mm-hmm. and the argument that I would make time and time again with any of these these kind of of the last five years, your Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame is that the script is stronger than the direction and the script mm-hmm. props up the direction and when i yeah. I, I, I was I mean, having a chat I, to my totally friend the other day about um about rise of skywalker so he was he was i haven't seen rise of skywalker but he was telling me all of the stuff that he was frustrated by about it and i said this i think that's that kind of brings into focus what i really loved about endgame because endgame for all of for all of the big plot stuff it has to do and for having to get a showdown with thanos again the moments that I remember when I think back to that film are Tony speaking to his dad and Cap dancing with Peggy again. And I think it's a film that... And, and I know, again, people don't love this aspect of the film, but I also think of Thor talking to his mum. And those are the mm-hmm. moments that really, really land for me. And they're all character-based. Yeah, Tony, Tony talking I, to his daughter. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that, and I feel like it's a movie where decisions are character-based, and again, a scene that people don't love, but I think on paper, the the Natasha Clint scene, I think, is, is such a great idea, that, that you have these two characters literally fighting each other to have the right to sacrifice themselves for their best friend. I think it's it, really powerful, and I... I do really like Adam's Family Values, and I think the script is... Uh, I don't know, I, I feel almost like maybe the what Sonnenfeld brought in that first film, he kind of replicates in the second one, and whereas the script is a big step up, obviously. Um, I I think I would still go Endgame above Adam's Family Values. Yeah, I think Adam's Family Values is a good standalone movie, but the, the sort of genius of Endgame is that it takes 
an entire decade's worth of, you know, 20 films and finds a way to weave them together into something that pays off. And, like, there are so many back references, like, character-wise, plot-wise. It really rewards you for being invested in everything. And, like, as we've seen with, you know, for example, Star Wars or the DCEU, that's not simple. Like, it's actually incredibly difficult, it turns out, because no one else has been able to do it. And I think you just, you can't overlook that. I don't want to just, like, snark about Star Wars and sort of be enjoying being distanced from it as not a Star Wars fan. Um, but the the reaction uh, to Star Wars did really drive home for me how lucky we were <laughs> that, that <laughs> to we be invested got a in film like stuff, Endgame. Yeah, yeah that, just, that just managed to, to do what it, what it did. Um, and the, the fact that we as a, I mean, Carolina, it'd be interesting to get your take on this as well. But when when the three of us recorded our Endgame episode, I think what we came out of it kind of saying was, can you believe that this big mega franchise, which has kind of come to a head with this movie, in this movie delivered the things that we, us three people, really wanted to see from that movie? I mean, I would give this <laughs> award to Endgame on the basis of what it did with Bucky alone. Like <laughs> you, you fundamentally you sure? ignored your worst character. Wow, <laughs> brutal! Well, like take brutal. a bow, Marcus and McFeely. <laughs> to be honest, you guys are all very much convincing me. Actually, towards Endgame, I will just say I think screenplay can be a nice space to honor movies we're probably not going to honor in other categories. And considering we just voted Endgame best film of the year, I kind of, I think my heart a little bit leans towards Adam Family Values just because I think what it's doing is so creative and original. And Endgame pulls off the really impressive act of tying everything together. But I think, like, I still Mm. think about the Adam's Family Values Thanksgiving scene, you know, constantly. Like, I think that's one of the best scenes like it's ever. such a quotable <laughs> film throughout. It's the fact that you've got so many great lines from Wednesday in it, but you've also got great lines from Debbie and from other characters. I think it's a, I think it's a brilliantly written screenplay because I, I think that it's one of those where the gags are good, but also just the, you look at some of like Gomez's uh, dialogue in it and and just the kind of the the <laughs> rhythm and structure of the way that he speaks in it throughout. I mean, you know, we we talked about the difference because obviously we did both films together and the the difference between the two. And in some ways, I think the first film doesn't nail that as well, and the second one is such a step up. I mean, I think it's absolutely it's one of the funniest films of the nineties and. For that alone, yeah, I think because it's not gonna it's not gonna compete against an Endgame or a lot of the other films as as an overall best film. Um, for me, it's the screenplay and the performances, and you know there are other categories where I've I've nominated it for things. That's that's what marks it out for me. I, I would I would agree with Caroline, which means we unless anyone wants to shift, we've got a fifty fifty split. I will just make one final appeal. Um, if we're talking in terms of quotability, on your left and. <laughs> I'm inevitable. Uh, On your left comes from another film. It does, but wow, (laughs) you can't claim that. But when people, when if you say to people in 20 years' time, on your left, they're not going to be thinking of Sam running around Washington, are they? (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's got it's it's got it's got big, important, notable, memorable lines, but that they're they're not necessarily great because of what they are, have how they're written in themselves. It's because of what's happening at the time that they're said. So. I, I, th- I think the, po- I think the point here. is, I think we've got two very different approaches to screenplay here. We've got Endgame is an impressive screenplay because uh, of how it functions and how it's structured. 
and Adam's Family Values is an impressive screenplay because it's fucking hilarious. Okay, I've, I've got a very... They are, they're fundamentally two different arguments. I've got a very quick point that I think is probably in Adam's Family Values' favour. I it. think there was probably no version of Endgame sort of written down on the page. I think a lot of that sort of screenplay, quote-unquote, was probably found in the edit. Because um, yeah. we know there's a lot they left out. Um, mm. You know, stuff they shot and then discarded... Whereas I think Adam's Family Values is a bit more like you can imagine this was the film that was wrote, written, and and then, you know, filmed. And so in that sense, I sort of, I, I can also imagine a version if you gave Adam's Family Values scripts to a different director, you'd get a similar but possibly better film. Oh no, I don't agree. Well, with that. having seen the first, <laughs> so I don't well, know. That's I, what I was gonna yeah, say. I, I think. think- the difference yeah, between the yeah. first Adams Family and the second shows like, okay, the first one, we're just going to do a bunch of like little sketches and that's fine. But the second one actually did find a structure to to weave it all around that's yeah. way more mm-hmm. successful. And counterpoint to Endgame, they just didn't give Black Widow a funeral and that is uh, unforgivable. <laughs> so she's got, she's got a whole movie of a funeral coming up. <laughs> we'll see. I they still did, think she they can did get a give funeral. Debbie a funeral. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm willing to come down on the side of Adam Sandy values, to be honest. I think that sounds to me like the only concession we're gonna like. If we if we carry on debating this, I think we're just gonna yeah. go around in circles for another five or ten minutes. Like, if James is willing to make that concession, I think for me that leans it towards Adam's family values. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Adam's family values, best screenplay, 2019. Bang the gavel. <laughs> Next up is an interesting one because I think this is one where we are all going to have had completely different experiences over the last 12 months and that will probably be reflected in the nominations. It is best TV show. So this is the category where because we don't tend to cover TV shows in detail on the podcast very often and I don't think we did at all in 2019, uh we can just nominate any TV show that we've enjoyed that has aired episodes in the last 12 months. So Joe, what did this ridiculous hodgepodge of nominations come out with? So oh, and this... it's previously been won by Sabrina, Agent Carter Season 2, and Riverdale Season 1. Yeah, this category is essentially going to have to come down to um, Seb and Caroline talking about TV shows that the other hasn't seen. Um, <laughs> because James abstained from voting for this category. Um, and as didn't did even I, nominate, because... nominate Riverdale. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, uh, I've... River, Riverdale's had its go-round, right? <laughs> it's had its moment in yeah. the sun. yeah. Whereas I've only seen one superhero TV show this year, um, and, <laughs> we're not talking um, about that I one. D- I don't. I don't want to go there. So um, <laughs> no. not- it is. It is. Um, it is exempt from the the awards. That's all I say. And I'm using the kinder word exempt. Yeah, I would be surprised if any of these shows I'm going to mention are better, but. The Tick, The Boys, Daybreak, Jessica Jones season three, The Punisher season two, and Supergirl. So seven, Caroline, you can have at it. Well, The Boys is the best, like, I mean, with the caveat that I haven't watched most of those are the ones that got listed, The Boys is the best comic book TV show that I've seen in years. And I, I, the argument that I will make for The Boys, and I'm aware it's going to be difficult to make it win because nobody else has watched it, is The Boys is so good that I absolutely loved season two of The Tick. I possibly enjoyed season two of The Tick even more than season one of The Tick, and yet I would still vote for The Boys ahead of it. That's how good I think The Boys was. I've just realised, I, I, obviously I did watch season two of The Tick and I got six episodes into The Boys and I, I didn't like it, Seb. Is this going to mark me down? It, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I mean, to be honest... I don't. As, sorry, that's not fair. I didn't dislike it. 
I just didn't understand why everyone else had loved it so much. And I know this this is not a Seb Patrick loves the boys and no one else does. This is that like it has been hugely well received. It's done yeah. really well. They've they've sped up production on season two. We've already um, had a trailer for season two. Yeah, and it's and it's yeah, it killed the tick. Um, so maybe you give it credit for literally and again, putting another show out of its misery. Right, <laughs> the fact that I liked it so much, even though it's the show that killed the tick, what does that tell you? Because you, you can go back to when it was first mooted and how angry I was that tick was effectively getting cancelled to make way for it. And I'd, I'd actually... I don't know. Ah, do, would I rather see a season two of The Boys or a season three of The Tick? I'm not sure. Anyway, it doesn't really matter because actually what I was going to say is there is one person on this podcast who actually engages with superhero TV with a reasonable mm. amount of regularity. And I think it should be that person's. It should be down to that person to tell us which is the best one of the year. Well, it's so funny because I was going to. I don't know. I was going to say I'll just concede to whatever you guys want because I don't feel strong. <laughs> I will say, I know. Okay, I know it's the show that shall not be named on this podcast, but since I'm not technically a host, I will just say Watchmen is. I have not watched it myself, oh, but I've word. heard that it is incredible. So I will just put that out there that, you know, if, if there is a superhero, a buzzy superhero TV show to watch of the year, and I know you guys don't agree with this point of view, but it probably is that one. So acknowledging I need to catch up on that. Um, I'll just say, so the things I watched, I don't know, just as a point of reference, I think Jessica Jones's final season was pretty messy, but stuck the landing in an interesting way. The Punisher's second season was probably overall stronger, but had a final scene that I hated so much that it almost makes me hate the entire show. (laughs) It's the one where he actually becomes the Punisher. (laughs) Yes, correct. And it was a deeply upsetting ending. Uh, Daybreak is this Netflix teen, like irreverent teen zombie apocalypse show that I think is nothing at all like the comic it was based on. And is kind of exhausting. It was one of those shows where I was like, am I I enjoying this or do I hate (laughs) it? And I sort of felt that way the entire time, but I think it has some merits. And then I'll just put in a little push for Supergirl, which I think is just such a lovely show. Sometimes I just am like, we're so lucky to have Supergirl. It's so, it captures the, you know, there was a story that came out that was like, Warner Brothers doesn't know how to make Superman relevant. It's like, we'll just watch Supergirl because they're doing it every week. Like what they do is so good. Supergirl had a phenomenal third season, which, and you know, aired half in, uh, 2019 and and then we pick up on season four which has been kind of messy but just in general like the premise and the central performance in that show is so good so that's kind of where i'm at with superhero tv i don't really feel strongly about any of them i haven't seen the boys or the tick but honestly said you're so passionate about the boys i'm happy to just defer (laughs) to that and give it to you I, th- I i i think i mean aside from just like the comparison to the tick i think the, the point that's really worth making with the boys is that it it took a source material by one of the best writers in comics but a writer who sometimes has issues with how he presents certain things the boys is a bit of a problematic comic in places the tv show manages to take all the good stuff adds a load more good stuff takes what the comic was doing in terms of being a comment and a satire on current society and does it better than the comic did it uses the trappings of the comic to do something and i'm aware that as i say this that this is something that people have said about the tv show that shall not be named as well but you know that this one the boys doesn't get disqualified on a technicality because garth ennis is actually an exec producer on it so um yeah it's just it i think it, it, it i think i've probably made the comparison to kick-ass where it's something that takes all the good of the source material leaves out the bad and what you're left with is something that is 
better than the source material. Also, I don't think we were able to uh, nominate... I, I think we discussed this and we, we can't nominate TV shows in the non-TV show categories. Um, but I absolutely would have put in a nomination for Anthony Starr as Homelander. He's so good in that show. He's almost worth watching the show for alone. He's that good. Um, so. I would describe him as evil Chris Pine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was uh, Seb. From from what I've seen, um, I think Erin Moriarty is really good. Um, yes, she's as great. The kind of yeah. ingenue superhero, mm-hmm. and um, I actually quite like um, Tom Capon, who plays Frenchie as well. Yeah, yeah I, it was I wasn't strong ke- performance at the start of the season. Frenchie was one of the things I was less keen on because he's one of the most he's one of the characters who's most different from the comic and the character in the comic is so distinctive and fun that it was a shame that we weren't getting that version by the end of the season he's one of my favorite things about the show i think he's great so yeah, yeah. whereas i think you've got and i don't know whether this is intentional but you've got the likes of chase crawford and jesse t usher who are you feel like maybe almost intentionally bland to me <laughs> but i don't know whether that's... you you probably didn't get as far as chase crawford's actual arc that he gets uh, no, I don't be- I in the second half of the season, he gets a lot to do, and it's okay. interesting. It's a he he gets a me too story basically, and it's right. Yeah, I was um I was watching that, remembering that Chase Crawford was one of the final list of three or four names who almost got Captain America. Um, he would thinking, not have been as good as Chris yeah, Evans. Thinking how lucky we were. <laughs> um, okay, so it sounds like the boys, Seb. If 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 Caroline doesn't object, no, then... I'm happy to to follow your passions here. <laughs> Excellent. The boys it is. TV show 2019. The other one shall not be named. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Um, on then too, I think... What's depending on the year, often one of the most fun awards. Um, I'm not sure it's one of the most fun ones this year, to be honest, uh, but it is the Howard T. Duck Award <laughs> for our favourite bad film. Uh, this is an award that in recent years has been won by Venom, 
the 2005 Fantastic Four, the Thomas Jane Punisher, which I think, obviously, and retrospectively we gave it to Howard the Duck, but we didn't have the category in the first year, and I think the Punisher inspired the creation of this award as much as Howard the Duck did. Um, But yeah, Yeah. so it's for a film that we know is a bad film, but that we had so much fun watching and discussing anyway that it's that it's worthy of an award beyond just being described as a bad film it's the films that i think are the the truest spirit of this podcast but as i say i mean joe you can tell us the nominations i'm not sure we've got a very strong selection this year because i think this year the bad films were just bad it's well here's here's where i think things get interesting i think this year we had a uh we didn't have as many bad films because normally what we'll do is when we go to like a a lesser week like a, a week where like oh what should we do and we'll be like should we do should we finally do generation x or nick fury or whatever there wasn't that many honkers this year because instead mm. the pivot was towards stuff like snowpiercer um so i think we've got a very interesting category here where there are some bad movies but you need i think with the bad ones you need to argue are they so bad they're good um and then also we've got a couple of controversial ones in there that are almost <laughs> that are almost they're good but there's enough about them that they managed to make it in this into this category <laughs> so i think the um i'll start with the the bad side of things we have got supergirl dark phoenix and fantastic four rise of the silver surfer and then we have the Dark Knight Rises and Alita Battle Angel. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Excuse I was me. Say mystery man. Uh... So I think we. I, How I think dare just... any of you? <laughs> I think just Wait, isn't because... that? Not... I feel like this category was made for Alita Battle Angel. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Alita Battle Angel is objectively this. It's it's so dumb, but it's good. So I almost think it's like it's it's an anti Howard T Duck award. It's almost you know like what? it's the it's the good bad movie of the, the year. The thing is, everything Alita <laughs> does is intentional, and like they just they picked an aesthetic and they picked an approach and they went, "We're doing that." Like it yeah, doesn't it was matter. Bad, but in a good Hugo, way. Hugo just because it's not, not an Oscar award winning screenplay <laughs> doesn't mean it, they're not doing everything that they wanted to. And that's what I love about it. One of the main aspects of Alita is the romance between Alita and Hugo. And that is... As realistic a teenage romance as you will ever see. (laughs) Top to bottom, through to to the the final death scene, is honkingly bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's so so awful. Um, And I still think, like, the fact that this movie, I I think... (sighs) How do I put this? I, I think it got. Do you remember that this was the movie that was held up against Captain Marvel by mm-hmm. the um, the incelly bros online that were like, "Oh, look, here's a proper strong action hero." Um, it it kind of is a positive, like lead strong female character in a movie with other good female characters, but. It's also a movie that leers in this really creepy, almost hentai-ish way at Alita. <laughs> and I think that's it's it's all of these contradictions that kind of I think make it fit into this category quite nicely. Like I say, I think if this was rather than the 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 best bad movie, the worst good movie, I think Alita would win. But I think it is I think it is the worst good movie. I, I, you know, I'm, so, I, I would... I'm so I'm so close to walking. 
I, I wouldn't have considered it for this category because I think I think coming out of Odd I think coming out of the fact that because I was so surprised to have enjoyed it as much as I did, and then we had a really fun time discussing it. I hadn't thought of it as not a very good film, but uh, I think you might be right. I mean, just 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 to say, I mean, I, I think the only I would say the only real competition in this category. I think let's put Dark Knight Rises aside. It's funny to nominate it, but come on, no, That's but, uh, hang on, hang on. Dark, no, Dark Knight no, no, Rises I, is not in the spirit of this category. There is no, but there, but there is the argument to be made in terms of best bad movie. The Dark Knight Rises is a bad no, movie. No, I would it, I would say The Dark Knight Rises is the worst good movie in that it's a good movie with a capital G, but it's also really bad in places. See, I, I think it it fundamentally doesn't work. It structurally doesn't work. See, what, it feels... what Joe's doing here is Joe is getting to have his podcast discussion about all of the episodes <laughs> that happened after he left. <laughs> I just think this it, is what's it's... happening here. <laughs> that, is, that is a movie that just... It feels like Nolan's heart's not in it and jumps from jumps from kind of nonsense to nonsense but has good stuff filling up the scene so it's still directed by Christopher Nolan the score's still amazing the costumes are still amazing the performances are still great um and it's got all of the like I nominated it in a bunch of categories this year but the movie's bad the movie is bad <laughs> and it doesn't work and like the the amount I of mean, fun that you guys were having on that podcast episode you couldn't have that much fun if it was just purely good <laughs> yeah it's like it's also, a two, exactly two and a half star movie is watching the dark knight rises actually a massively enjoyable experience or not because I feel like this award has to be won by a film that is not a good film but that you come out of it going, even though that's not a good film, I really enjoyed that. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, I think, is the opposite. As I say, Dark Knight Rises is like, even though that's a good film in some ways, I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have done because of this, this and this. Uh, can we, um, I, I can we hear it's... James make his argument for his choice? Because I know what it is, and I don't agree, but I really want to hear it again. <laughs> what, Dark Phoenix? Yeah. So, so I think Dark Phoenix is a film where... Every scene fails to accomplish the thing that it's trying to do. <laughs> and so, like, you're watching the film and it just it doesn't make sense from one moment to the next. And this is like a second attempt at doing one of the comics' most iconic stories. It should should have been simple to do this movie. And yet they managed to fall at basically every hurdle. Yeah. James, the th- these are okay, great arguments in the is, wrong category. Here's the thing, though, right? <laughs> I had more fun with Dark Phoenix this year. Really? Yeah, because after me and my friend Ian saw the movie, we went for a burger and we basically spent two hours crying with laughter just recounting what happened in it <laughs> to one another. I mean, there, it's there's hard no to make movie. an argument against the helicopter scene, isn't it? Right. Where, <laughs> where you watch Michael Fassbender and Sophie Turner... <laughs> have kind of like a constipation <laughs> off as they hold up their hands <laughs> to a helicopter, which is kind of just batting into yeah. force fields. And they're just sort of it roaring is... at one another. Caroline, what's your take on Dark Phoenix so, as a big X-Fan? So I was going to say, I have the controversial opinion here where I actually didn't totally hate Dark Phoenix. Did I like <laughs> it? No. Did I think it was good? No. Did I think it was better than Apocalypse? significantly so i think dark phoenix like you're saying james it's a mess Mm. on a scene to scene level it doesn't make any sense i think the themes some of the themes it's exploring are actually kind of cool and made me think in a way that apocalypse never did (laughs) so i don't know i have a little bit 
like, spoiler alert, did I also nominate it in my worst film of the year category? Yes. <laughs> but I don't, to me, it doesn't hit. And maybe this is like, to me, the, the spirit of the Howard T. Duck Award is like, it's not really Dark Phoenix and it's not really Dark Knight Rises. It's like something mm. that's goofier. That, yeah. You know so, what I mean? Does that, does that take us to Supergirl and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer? Yes. I, I think Rise of the Silver Surfer. Yeah, Fantastic Four, the first one, absolutely qualified for this award. Rise of the Silver Surfer, compared to it, is a is a crushing disappointment, and I don't, it, I didn't get anywhere near the same enjoyment out of the sequel as the I first one. I think you guys said it on the podcast. It's it's a movie that's, I think, it's only like, it, it lands very close to the ninety minute mark, and yeah. it's one of those that you check how long you've been watching it for, assuming you, you you've been there an hour, and it's it yeah. is only fifteen minutes in. It's a, it's practically a TV movie in all kinds of ways. Um, I, I, I mean, I nominated Supergirl. I would make the argument for Supergirl. I think Supergirl is not as strong uh, a, a, a kind of fit for this category as a Howard the Duck, but I think it very much sits in that area. I think there's an earnestness to it that I enjoy. Um, I think you know, Helen Slater is fantastic. I just think Peter Cook is ridiculous that, that Peter Cook is even in it. Um, I think there's... I mean, it's a bad film, but I think there's enough schlocky enjoyment in it that, to me, it feels like it fits the spirit of this award. However, unless anyone else feels more strongly, I really want this award to go to Elite. <laughs> I, okay, do you know I've what? Got, I, I've got I, one... Like, I, 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 sorry, I just... Because I, James needs to consider this. <laughs> it will be the best movie we've ever given to in this category, but I, <laughs> I have to go Elite as well. I mean... My argument would be the thing, the way I approach this award is if I was going to get a bunch of friends over and say, hey, let's watch a bad movie and like laugh ourselves stupid, it wouldn't be Elisa that I would put on. I would put on Dark Phoenix or Dark Knight Rises. I refuse but to if everyone that you else, ever if, put on Dark Phoenix again. Though. Or that you would put on Dark Knight Rises to laugh at it. Yeah. Yeah, but James is, <laughs> James has a very <laughs> twisted mind when it comes to Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would say for me it is I think Dark Phoenix is too much of a for for me well, for Caroline it's a little bit too good for me it's a little bit too much of a trudge I didn't find myself laughing at it a couple of a couple of scenes I aside I wasn't laughing most, at the time but in in retrospect well that that's that's it yeah I think it's a laughably bad movie but it's not like Howard the Duck where I'm kind of like sat there with this grin plastered on my face but also like deep existential horror <laughs> um, <laughs> it's. I think the movie that comes close to the previous winners of this award is Supergirl. But I think Alita comes close. So I, I would be happy with either of those personally. I would be happy with either of those two. I had actually never seen Supergirl, so uh, the movie, until this. So thank you guys for finally pushing me to do something that's been on my to-watch list forever. I was thoroughly baffled by every moment of Supergirl. <laughs> I don't know what that I was That might be the best argument we've had. But it was just like every time, it was like, where is this going? What's happening? I definitely think it's in the spirit of this award for sure. Like there are elements of it that are kind of like Dark Phoenix actually. I'm like, okay, see the, the <laughs> Oh, she's going to school now. <laughs> you're trying to explore here. Yeah, there's a school. <laughs> but then also what's happening. Um, I think so that's my argument for Supergirl. My argument for Alita, and we talked about this on the podcast we recorded about it, is that it kind of falls into that spirit of, like, Jupiter Ascending or Valyrian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Mm -hmm. Both the movies mm -hmm. I love and both I would happily award this award to because to me this award mm -hmm. is kind of an honor. Like, this is not... I don't think the Howard T. Duck Award is 
That's not something you carry in shame. That's something you carry <laughs> no, proudly. No, and so, that's the thing. I, I think you have to be good enough to earn it, and that's yeah. why I never give it to Dark Phoenix. Yeah. And, and as you know, the, the thing that sums, even though it's called the Howard T. Duck Award, I mean Howard the Duck is a, a dreadful film. I, 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 <laughs> but the film that I think most embodies this award is actually the Thomas Jane Punisher. I still think back fondly to that film when we did that on the podcast. Um, Venom, you know, absolutely meets that criteria oh, as well. God. Uh, so, I, yeah, I that's, keep finding that's, you know. myself stopping myself rewatching Venom <laughs> because I'm like I'm 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 kind of like hypnotically drawn to it, uh, but also I'm like, but you no, uh, don't do it. And, and I think I think what normally sways it for me is just the like the image that has been burnt into my brains of Woody Harrelson in that wig right at the end, <laughs> and I think, oh god. <laughs> We're gonna have to do it all over again anyway. Let's not rewatch it now. Okay, so if it gets a litre of win in some category, I'm happy to let it go because I don't feel like you're gonna give it the respect it deserves in the other ones. Do you know what that I think I think I'm will I think I'm gonna flip to Supergirl because of what Caroline oh. said about it being <sighs> baffling from moments. Oh moment. hang on, so where are we then, right? So we've got, we've I'm got on, Joe Supergirl. on Supergirl, we've got James on Alita. Caroline, where do you sit? I can go with whatever breaks a tie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know because I'm I'm torn between the two of them as well. Uh, now uh, I'm leaning I, towards okay, Alita so me, because I think she deserves the honor. right. It's Alita, it's okay. Alita. Oh, oh, the Howard T. Duck Award this year. I think it, I think it is the the one that is truest to the spirit. Alita Battle Angel. God um, damn you people! Gets the Howard T. Duck Award. It's At an the end honor. of the day, it's a James, film it's that we all enjoy. This film. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's do. Another one of the big ones, uh, the 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 other of the secondary acting awards, and I th- I get the impression from and certainly from when I went back and nominated that this is this could be one of the strongest years for this category, best supporting actress. Uh, so previously we've had Letitia Wright for Black Panther, Scarlett Johansson for the original Avengers, Tilda Swinton for Doctor Strange, and Chloe Moretz for Kick Ass. Who have we got this year, Joe? Okay, so uh, just missing out a trio of. Um endgame performances um brie larson gwyneth paltrow and hayley atwell um which even i was surprised by um and uh also a couple of uh wolverine performances um is it rila fukushima and tao she'd get in maybe the wolverine vote was split so uh making the final five are christina ricci for adam's family values Joan Cusack for Adam's Family Values, Anne Hathaway for The Dark Knight Rises, Tilda Swinton for Snowpiercer, and Scarlett Johansson for Avengers Endgame. Great nominees. So I would like to I would like to break a tie straight away and kind of cut this down to four. We have previously given this award to Scarlett Johansson for the first Avengers movie. Mm. There is nothing she does in Endgame that compares to the first Avengers movie for me. So I would, I would cull her from the list immediately. <laughs> Agreed, she's great. We, but like you say, she's gotten it before, and she'll have another opportunity next year. So yeah, fair enough. Well, best actress will be her opportunity next year. I'm a little. Uh, I nominated Christina Ritchie for best actress, not best supporting actress. So what's the who? Who else nominated her here, and what's the rationale for her being here and not in best actress? So she basically I would got call her a lead in that film. She got nominations across the categories, but more nominations in supporting than lead. So uh. she got put in supporting. I. I I kind of feel like it's difficult to find a lead actress in that movie. Yes, mm. she kind of leads her section of the movie, um, mm-hmm. but she's absent from the other half of it. So it's mm. it's it's difficult to pin down. And actually, coming coming away from that movie, could you say that Christina Ricci or Joan Cusack, either of them, have a bigger role in that film? 
I don't think you can. I guess not. I mean, I, I, I would say that I would say that Joan Cusack is a, is slightly secondary in one half of the plot, and Wednesday is the lead in the other half of the plot. Whereas, um, I mean, um, whereas I would yeah. say that Joan Cusack's plot is the A plot, and Christina <laughs> Ricci's is, is the, the movie, B plot. Yeah. yeah. It's a diff- it's a difficult one, but I think it's probably fair enough that at the end of the day they both end up. And in also, supporting. not to imply that best actress is any way superior to best supporting actress. Not like they're both, and certainly not in these awards where the better roles tend to be in superior movies support supporting ones. roles. Yeah, quite. I mean, all, all all I would say is if Christina Ricci is in this category and not best actress, um, as strongly as I feel about one of the other candidates. I, I feel like someone's going to have to work really hard to convince me that Christina Ritchie doesn't get an acting award this year. That role is iconic. Yeah. And always will be. I agree with that too. So maybe I'll just run through, I mean, without trying to argue that they're better, just to like give a little shout no, out. I actually it. think Anne Hathaway yeah. is fantastic in The Dark Knight Rises. I think people yeah. don't talk enough mm-hmm. about how great that performance is. And the scene I always think of is when she has to fake being like a hostage victim and she's screaming and then just immediately goes back to being normal. I think it's so fun. It's so great. I don't think she should win, but I will just give a shout out to how good she is. Yeah. I think it's, I I nominated her as well. And I think it's totally worthy that she's in the nominations. She's one of the better things about the film. And I think when you, when you look at that film and go kind of like, it's a really strong cast top to bottom. um, I would argue she maybe gives the best performance out of everyone. Um, and and to to come into that franchise fresh, again talking about another actress having portrayed that character in a kind of iconic fashion, she's doing something completely different. Um, and you know that that was that was slap bang in the era as well. Of people hated Anne Hathaway irrationally for whatever reason. And I remember being sat in an office uh, just before that movie was coming out, and someone saying. Fucking hate Anne Hathaway. She, I can't believe she's going to ruin the the Batman franchise for me. And I was like, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what is? Why do we all hate Anne Hathaway all of a sudden? Um, and yeah, I I think she's I think she's really good in it. But yes, I would say she comes slightly below all of Christina Ricci, Tilda Swinton, and John Cusack for me as well. Who wants to argue for Tilda? Well, Tilda would have been given that I given that I didn't nominate. Um, uh, Christina Ritchie in this category. Tilda was my choice. Um, just <laughs> so she was my best actress choice. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, what what can you say about it that we didn't already say on the uh, on the podcast? It's a, it's you know for relatively small screen time. It's an outstanding piece of character work. The the, the way that she constructs and inhabits that character, the look, the physicality, the accent. Uh, everything every moment that she's on screen in that film in an outstanding film that has loads of other things going for it like she's just an absolute delight i think as well what a a theme that we consistently i think come back to with these supporting actress performances in in our awards are these characters and i think this happens a lot of the time in superhero movies these characters that are superficially projecting one thing that have this very specific exterior that they want to give off and a lot of the time what you see is then those characters as they get um exposed to certain plot devices or whatever that you see the kind of the 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 exterior stripped away and you get a sense of who they really are and i think tilda swinton 
is while the monologue is obviously the thing that you remember, I think she's fantastic when she's kind of like pleading right at the end. And you see that kind of like this has all been just her kind of this this woman with this obviously this specifically working class voice who has been projecting a version of herself to fit in with the with the upper class um passengers on the train um i think she's fantastic there i mean if you wanted to make an argument against her you could say like would you love that performance if the accent wasn't the accent you know if she wasn't doing that very specific thing but then again it's tilda swinton and i've seen lots of performances without the accent and she's (laughs) generally amazing the performance yeah it is it is yeah but um yeah so i i think she's very good um I'd make the argument for Joan Cusack. I, I I know that Christina Ricci is kind of like she, she is. I mean, that like her Wednesday Adams performance went on to kind of define her entire career. Where and as well, the older she got, the more and more she fit into that kind of disaffected, slightly goth teen. Right in all in all of the other performances that she gave. I watched the Ice Storm. I think uh, maybe this time last year, and she's she's. <laughs> almost a comic book movie <laughs> yeah oh yeah actually yeah that might be an interesting one for the future of this podcast because it it really is almost a, a comic book movie um but i think john cusack i i wonder when i look at this shit i i've always thought that maybe she was unfairly robbed of a of an oscar nomination for this performance i just think she's a i think she's amazing <laughs> i really really do uh, and christina ricci's great but i saw her do that thing time and time and time again and this i think is probably the best example of it and you know talking about the iconic nature of that thanksgiving scene uh mm. but john cusack is a very versatile actress and and i, I do think i don't think i've ever seen her on this kind of delicious form no you don't, yeah it's, it's not a type of role that she would normally have played she does it perfectly, and I and I think yeah, I th- I think a lot of her scenes and lines and moments are just as memorable and iconic as I think this is a thing we probably did talk about it on the podcast. But the people, everyone remembers the summer camp stuff from Adam's Family Values, and it is that stuff is all phenomenal. But it's not the only good stuff in the film. I think it's really easy to overlook how good the Debbie and Fester stuff is, and it's almost entirely okay. Christopher Lloyd is great, but it's almost entirely that good because of how good Joan Cusack is. It's yeah, it's it is a, a totally iconic performance. I don't think I would put it ahead of Tilda Swinton. I, I you think you can make an argument for me to put it ahead of Christina Ritchie possibly now that you've said that, but yeah, I, I I'm torn. I, I could happily give it to any one of those three. So it's not going to yeah, be me, too, me, a me too kind of. So I think I wonder if if James and Caroline feel particularly strongly about one of those. I think it's a phenomenally strong category. I think Tilda and Joan are both phenomenal in their respective films. For me, it's still Christina Ricci as number one. You know, almost like among equals because they're all so good. I am really bummed neither of my beloved Wolverine girls made it into this category. So just shout out to <laughs> them. Uh, I, th- I think we had the vote split there from the sound of it. Well, some people <laughs> could have voted for both of them, like I did. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think that even even with them in this category, for me, it's just Ricci. Like I think what she does is so phenomenal, and she deserves it. I mean, also. It's it's a noticeable evolution from the first movie as well. So it's not mm. like she just did the same and thing. And to be again. fair, we covered both movies 
on the same podcast. I mean, I, I think that I, the nomination probably is for Adam's Family Values. But if you if the argument is, well, it wasn't as surprising because she'd already shown in the first film that she was brilliant. Well, the first film's eligible this year as well. So frankly, if if we're <laughs> saying it's the award for both films, then I think that's that's valid, and I think that probably tips it over to to have given performances that good at those ages in both of those films is an achievement yeah i think and we said yeah. this with with jack john grazer but just how young you know getting this these yeah. kinds of performances out of young actors and like what craft she brings to this thing like i don't th- you know this is <laughs> this is forever the public's image of Wednesday Adams. I think even more so than anyone else in that cast, as great as the whole cast is, I think she is the one that really defined her character the most and any other version will forever be judged against her. And Yeah, I think and I think actually, it. Caroline, you just mentioning Jack Dylan Grazer, I think if I look across these two categories and I go, Jack Dylan Grazer was someone who was playing a type really well. Um, Christina Ricci kind of defined a type mm-hmm. here. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know who, you know, I'd have loads of ideas of who could star in a, in a a live action 2019 Adam's Family. Wednesday would be the slot that I, I don't know how you would fill. I really Mm -hmm. don't. I like, and I could, to, to go back slightly on what I said earlier, I think you could find other people who could do a good version of what Joan Cusack did here. I don't think, like, I think the closest we've had to Christina Ricci since Christina Ricci is Aubrey Plaza. But Aubrey Plaza can't act, and Christina Ricci could. <laughs> and it is, it's criminal that right, Christina Ricci isn't, isn't, to, uh, still, isn't still where she is, you know? <laughs> we, we should have Christina Ricci in all films still. Agreed. <laughs> Christina Ricci is then. Yep. A worthy winner, even though I thought maybe she should have been up for Best Actress, but Best Supporting <laughs> Actress 2019 is Christina Ritchie for... Are we saying for both the Addams Family films? Sure. Or just sure. for values? Or does it matter? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> Why not? It doesn't matter. Uh, okay, so we've got a couple <laughs> more categories uh, before we take our customary break. Um, best Villain, I think we'll go to next. I thought I'd put, put Best Villain in one half and Best Hero in the other. Let's let's go with Villain first. This is this is generally, again, one of those fun categories. Previously, we've had Killmonger, we've had General Zod, we've had Dr. Octopus, and we've had the Kingpin, which, if it was in the first year, was, was that the Michael Clark Duncan Kingpin? No, 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 that was, that, was, uh, that was the first season of Daredevil. Was that that long ago? Yeah. Wow, yep. okay. So well, yeah. you've got to think that that entire universe is, has been and gone now. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, God, that makes me feel old. So uh, who's up for best villain this year, Joe? Okay, so I think those are those are all iconic villains that we've had before. Um, I'll, I'll go through the ones that didn't quite make the list. Um, Minister Mason and Wilford, both from Snowpiercer. Split vote again. Casanova Frankenstein uh, from oh, Mystery Men. I didn't think anyone else would nominate him <laughs> apart from me, to be honest. Uh Bane didn't make the list. Um, Nova, is that from Alita? I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I nominated Reinhardt from Blade, uh, from Blade 2. A criminal that that no one else gave um, Ron Perlman's villain there some respect. Um, But the final five are Yon Rog from Captain Marvel, Thanos from Endgame, Mysterio from Far From Home, Debbie Jelinski from Adam's Family Values, and Agent Smith from The Matrix. It's not the best year, is it? Is it <laughs> not? With I think there's one there's one person in this category who stands out so far 
I think that it's not even I worth talking t- about it. I think Go there on. were two personally, but uh, all right. Well, what's, what's, what's James? Which way James Go goes? Agent Smith, absolutely. I like, just argue anything against it. That it's, I think it's a character that works across the. Tr- Weirdly, I think Agent Smith is the one element of that of that franchise that that really that really gets better as you as you put the three movies together. I think he's a good kind of. He's a good kind of video, in, in, video game villain in the first one, I think, where he is, and and to the point where he's right one of three, right. For for a large stretch of the movie, it's these three, and he happens to be the one because he's Hugo Weaving who fights, who gets the. Big <laughs> he's the fight one who scene. stands in front. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You said the thing is though, like for me, he's the sort of Terminator figure. It's not that he's like a blank slate; it's that he's just like relentless and impossible to face down. Right. Well, let let me make my counter argument and then see whether the other guys want to come in with anyone else. Um, John? I'm arguing for Thanos. So we didn't give this to Thanos last year because Killmonger, I think, is one of the greatest comic book movie villains of all time. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that Thanos is a more interesting character in. Um, in Infinity War, I think it's a better performance because Josh Brolin gets a lot more to do in mm-hmm. Infinity War. But in terms of best villain, um, there is something so fucking, uh, like, <laughs> just hateful about the guy at the start of the movie who's just wiped out half of the life across the universe and is just and just is like, oh, are, you, are you guys... You're still turning up here. I don't give a shit if you kill me. Like the the rage, and you know the kind of like you, you understand why Thor goes from what he does in that scene to what he goes five years later because like it's <laughs> like he's made all of the most powerful superheroes in the universe feel completely impotent. With like, there's nothing they can do about this, and they all have to walk away and give up. But that's that version of the character to then reintroduce Thanos later in the movie, and that guy just to go. Do you know what? Fuck it. Like, if you're still going to fight me on this, I'm not even going to kill half of you next this time. We're just going to kill a lot of you and start again. It's just it's pure <laughs> villainy. He gives up on his ideology and goes, fuck the lot of you. I'm killing everybody. Like, why are you fighting me so much on this? Um, and I just... I. I he just, I, he just personifies the pure asshole in that movie when he stands there, when he sits there and just waits for them to come to him. Like, oh, come on, guys! I think Thanos, and, and I think Thanos is one of the most iconic villains, and I, you know, just classic villain play as well. The arrogance at the end that he, that he thinks he's done it. The, the 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 arrogance that he thinks, <laughs> I, you, you know, that he that he literally thinks that he's inevitable and. I think it's. I think he's one of the most pure villains that we've ever had in. So I, I mostly agree, but Agent Smith, come on, like, <laughs> that that speech he gives to to Morpheus, where he's just like malice, just personified. Like there's nothing else there. Right. I'm like, gonna, how I'm, can you fight that? I'm going to make an argument against Agent Smith, and it, James, it's using your your past against you here, right? <laughs> Earlier in these awards, we had a Best Supporting Actor category where it was argued that Lawrence Fishburne was the most iconic performance and the most one of the most iconic things to come out of The Matrix. 
I didn't hear Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith mentioned once in that conversation. If you'd it's have not been, Hugo Weaving's performance. If you'd it's have been fighting Agent uh, Smith, I think the performance has to go into part of what makes a great movie villain. No, absolutely not. Thanos is a CGI character. It doesn't matter. No, no, he's Thanos not. is about the only reason Thanos is any good is because of performance. Otherwise, he would just be one-dimensional. <laughs> yeah, the voice performance. And also, actually, if we're talking about CG characters, there are there are vast stretches in the Matrix where Agent Smith is a CGI character. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, because everyone is a CGI yeah. character. I, I nominated Agent Smith, and I, and I would have been down with the argument, but because you, you all fought for Lawrence Fishburne as being a more iconic part of the <laughs> Matrix, I can't now let you also have Agent Smith as the best villain. Not when, not when Mysterio is in this category. I mean, I put Agent Smith first and Thanos second. Yeah. I think Joe probably put Thanos first. Caroline, do you want to give us some kind of input? I would love to jump in because I think Thanos, and you kind of acknowledge this, Joe, I think Thanos, I think the way that they redo Thanos in Endgame is the single weakest part of Endgame. I think that it became, it started out, and you're right, he's compelling in the one scene where he's like, you know, a farmer and making his soup. But then after that, it's just like, (laughs) okay, I'm a one note big bad, forget any of my morality that made me interesting now I just want to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. I think it's super lame. I don't like it. Sorry to him that he probably should have won last year, but also Killmonger was better. So yeah. just bad timing on Thanos' part in the world of the movie <laughs> and outside of the world of the movie as well. I wouldn't go as far as you in terms of saying that it's bad, uh, but I, I think you're. I can, that is exactly my argument against Thanos getting it this time. I, I, you know, I, I appreciate why the film does it, and I don't think it's to the detriment of the film because I think the film is doing its interesting stuff elsewhere. But the whole point of Thanos in Endgame is that it's not the it's not the best version of Thanos. They they go back to a more one dimensional and less developed not, and less interesting version of Thanos. It's not the best character, but we're talking about best villain, and I think this is the most villainous. Um, well, no, I, I, I would still. Yeah, but best villain doesn't have to be most evil. Yeah. Like Killmonger isn't the most evil; he's just the best villain. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. think when you've got Debbie Jelinski in this category, and someone else must have nominated her aside from me for her to get through, um, I would say she's a better villain than Thanos. Frankly, here's here's <laughs> what I'll say about the other one. So, and I think we all realize they're not going to be at the top. I do think you know Jude Law's Yanrog is a lot of fun in Captain Marvel. I like that twist. I like his final yeah. scene with her. So shout out to him for doing what he needed to do. I, the most 2019 villain on this yeah. list. <laughs> um, I also think Jake Gyllenhaal is super fun as Mysterio and probably in a different year would have maybe been more of a competitor unless one of you guys wants to make a super strong well, argument Well, this is, this is Joe. I mean, my, my, my argument, uh, Mysterio was my number one pick. Um I'm aware that I'm not going to win that fight and I really don't want to have the arguments about Far From Home again. I think if we didn't have Joe on the awards, I might have been able to make an argument for him. But uh, but he was my number one pick. I had actually completely... I didn't nominate Debbie from Adam Family Values, but as soon as you said that, it was like, oh yeah, of course. Like, What a great take on what a villain is like. Um, sort of falls into that Young Rog category of like an you know an unexpected twist. So I would be happy with her. I'm also with James that I think Agent Smith is one of the most iconic villains ever and would be well deserved to win this category. I mean, my argument against Agent Smith was facetious, and uh, I, I did nominate him. So I'm actually <laughs> not going to argue against it that strongly. I will argue against Thanos. I, I genuinely don't think it should be Thanos, and I, and I would definitely say Agent Smith over Thanos. Um. Everyone nominated Agent Smith. Well, there we go. It's Agent Smith then. 
justice. <laughs> Congrats, Hugo Weaving. I nominated Hugo Weaving for supporting actor too, so I actually think it is a good well, performance go. on his end. <laughs> Did you yeah, say that at the time? It's great. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, we'll round off this half of the awards. Uh, although whether whether there's just going to be a break in the middle or split episodes is still to be determined by the edit. Uh, but we uh, traditionally, I think we always round off the first half with uh, the best song category. Now, a point to make about this is that eligibility-wise, we allow for original songs actually written for films but also existing songs but i think the, the the kind of criteria has to be that it's more about a musical moment than just i really like this song that happens to be in this film it is worth noting that in previous years it's always been won by original songs for the film uh, spidey bells star spangled man Black Sheep, which was technically, it was pre-existing, but Metric hadn't released it when it was used for Scott Pilgrim, and Running Home to You from the Flash and Supergirl musical. Uh, God, we really nailed it that year. (laughs) I have a feeling that this time around it might not go to an original song, because I don't think that the pickings were very strong this time, but what have we got, Joe? God, I... I mean, I hope it doesn't go to an original song. Um, this is a this is a year where we are considering Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> so uh, we have "I Want You Back" from Guardians of the Galaxy, which is obviously the uh, the Baby Groot dancing song. have Ooh Child from Guardians of the Galaxy which is the uh, the dance off at the end We have Come and Get Your Love, which is a split vote between Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers Endgame, because while the music doesn't play in the Endgame scene, it is a reprise of that moment, and I think it's fair to include both. We then have pivoting hard to the one original song in this list, Adam's Family Groove. Um, <laughs> Speaking and thinking about the Adams, you know the hammer is with it. Act the fool, no balls, swoop, goofy and randy, you know we kick it up. Now is the time to get it in your mind, it's okay to be yourself. Take foolish pride and put it aside like the Adams, yo, they dare. That's a family. They do what they wanna do, say what they wanna say, live how they wanna live, play how they wanna play. And then we have It's Been a Long, Long Time. 
from Avengers Endgame. Which is the final thing. Which is the Stephen the Stephen Peggy yeah. dance. Um, I just want to make a point about two of them here. I nominated uh, Adam's Family Groove, and I think I even then plumped for it in the follow-up voting. And if I did, it was only because if we didn't have that, there weren't going to be any original songs. So I kind of just wanted us to have at least one original song. <laughs> to be honest, it is kind of a jam. I had not remembered it. It's an MC Hammer song. But when I listened to it for nominations, I was like, oh, yeah, this is catchy. It's actually so not, go listen yeah, to it if you haven't heard it. Um, I mean, it's like any any early '90s film of that kind yeah. of like family family level. It's gonna have some kind of family friendly rap at the end of it. And if it is, maybe if it's um, if it's R rated, it's gonna have like um, a hard rock song at the end instead. <laughs> I mean, I would say that the Adam's Family Groove is not on the level of Turtle Power or um, no. on our own from Ghostbusters Two. So in that sense, you know, it's it's also T-L-E power. It's not on the level of Adam's Family Wump. <laughs> <laughs> did you vote for that, James? I, I did no. not. I declined to no. vote. In this oh yeah, you did. Yeah, this different. was another category which James sat at. I also I have an element of okay, right. I want you back is one of the greatest pop singles uh, ever recorded. Uh, I love its use at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy. I, for me, it's not actually the dancing Groot. It's the way that the opening bar kicks in with the ship flying away. Mm. I think is one of the most perfect moments in movie history. I am not comfortable in the year 2019 giving this award to a song with Michael Jackson on it. Yeah, and it's the it's like the third ending song of that movie. Like you feel mm. like you've had the the song that's wrapping everything up, which is "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." And then, <laughs> yeah, and then and then we get "I Want You Back," and, and like I, I think James Gunn, as we saw from the post credit sequences of Guardians of the Galaxy Two, has a problem ending his movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> both both of them have six endings. Um, I I think that's the weakest of the three Guardians nominations. Um, yeah, because I I mean I didn't know Child before Guardians, but that is a well, like a lot of the songs on the soundtrack. That is a belter of a song and and the moment is great um i don't know about you guys and we 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 probably have to have this argument more this year that they're not original songs than previously i'm not really thinking of the quality of the song at all here i'm thinking about the moment in the film yes i'm thinking about the the scene in which it lands Mm. in which case i think there's there's two standouts what there is one for me that is in any other year it would be this a million percent but that there's another thing that edges ahead of it surprisingly especially because i didn't nominate it so the 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 would be the winner in any other year is come and get your love at the start of guardians and it's using endgame yeah, they'll like and, cut back to just watching yeah, him just what yeah it's <laughs> so funny and such a clever like unexpected joke i think it's the best part of that of that mission of, mm. of all the split missions that's the one that kind of feels a little bit short-changed and, and almost like i guess 
War Machine and, and and Nebula, and then you f- and then you find out the reason that that's all happening is because we need to we need to do the uh, Nebula MacGuffin in the middle of the film. Um, but that that's that moment is wonderful. But can you argue against it's been a long, long time? Because like the fact, I mean, I, I'm amazed that it didn't occur to me to nominate it. To be honest, because like thinking about it makes me cry, and the fact that it's <laughs> it's an existing song where the lyrics absolutely perfectly fit what it was used for. Uh, I, I'm not going to argue against. I read it. them out on the podcast. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was so perfect the way it was used in the film. I love the way that that scene is shot, which almost feels like a like a hazy memory, and the way that it pans out through the through the window. It's not how a film of, just... of that type should have ended. So it pans in, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like uh, aside from anything else, like just you know, if you look at what Endgame is and the kind of film that it is, how is that the note that it ends on? And and the and it's so perfect, but it's just like it's 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 wrong in a brilliant way. It's it's you know it's it's so different in tone and style from the kind of the bombastic ending that you would expect to get. It's just yeah. And it, I, I tweeted this recently. Um, we talked about on our Infinity War episode the the post credit scene with Sam Jackson and. Um, when when you see kind of like the helicopter crashing into the building and all of this chaos in the background, it feeling very leftovers esque when everyone disappears in the leftovers. Um, I, I won't spoil the uh, the actual ending of the leftovers for any for anyone who hasn't seen it. But this final scene really reminded me of the final scene of the leftovers as well. The the kind of viewing these two people, these two characters that mean a lot to you. Uh, this this kind of improbable couple that that have had to fight to be together, and just having this quiet moment between the two of them, neither of them having to really say anything in those final moments. It's just enough to see them together, and for that that song, I think is is perfectly picked because it's about it's about a soldier returning from war to be with the woman he loves, and that's that's what cap's doing you know not only returning from the second world war but returning from this kind of this campaign of just trying to keep people safe and having finally been able to achieve it and and knowing that he's left everyone in safe hands and and going back to finally be able to be with her and you know i love that relationship and i think it speaks volumes that that's the relationship that the MCU chose to return to in that in that final final moment. That's the scene I dreamed of basically, and they executed it better than I thought they would. The only the only way it could have been different is if they were finally at the Swan Club having that dance. But I think for the two of them just to be quietly together in their house dancing to this wartime track is is perfect, and I and I loved it so much. Yeah, I do think um, I think the Uchild ending of guardians definitely deserves points for being unexpected sort of like what we're talking about with this just like that's just not what you expect the like action climax of a film to be i yes. also think and when he starts singing it right caroline that's yeah the, that's the moment yeah yeah it's just so unexpected the throw trying to throw it to gamora is really funny um yeah. i think baby groot dancing is the cutest thing that's ever happened in cinema and you're all undervaluing <laughs> how incredible i watched i watched that when that came out i probably watched it i don't know 50 times 
um, in like a week. I think it's so cute. The way Drax keeps making him freeze is so cute. But I will, I agree that the Stephen Peggy ending is so great. The way the song sort of plays over the credits as well, I think is really original and unexpected. That that is like, mm. like you're saying, Joe, it's such an unexpected note to leave us on. So I'm more than happy making that our choice for the year. I mean, let's not forget that we we do get the the autographs after that moment. So. <laughs> yeah, but I'll never I I'll never think of those autographs about chuckling. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's such a hubristic move, but probably appropriate. <laughs> kind of, it makes me chuckle when I think of it. Okay, so so Endgame is what is that? I think the first film to no, it's not the first film to have got two winners because the Matrix is on two so far. In a, <laughs> an interesting twist, but uh, yes, Endgame has also got two, uh, and that's an appropriate point. Well, we'll 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 play it out into the break because um, you know we get the excuse to make everybody emotional, and that brings us to the end of this half of the of the split episodes for the awards. So uh, that's that's it for 2019. But we'll be back kind of in the first few days of. 2020 to round up the remainder of the awards from 2019 as we have done in previous years so uh come back in a few days time for that uh but for now we'll we'll play this out and we'll we'll see you next time It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.